0: Welcome back to the Lore and Valor podcast. I am joined once again by Mike Massa, veteran frogman and author of science fiction and fantasy extraordinaire and award-winning independent filmmaker Sam Plotisky. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. Uh, Sam, I should note, is fresh off the heels of Gen Con, and I am both so excited and so envious of him uh, in that regard because that is a convention I've wanted to go to for many years, so... Uh congratulations, Sam. I know you didn't get any awards at the Gen Con Film Festival, but I also know you probably had a great time attending. Uh yeah. and you came home to an award, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah.
1: Yeah. We won an award a couple uh weeks ago and it just uh was mailed to us. Uh it was in the mail when we got home. So that was cool.
0: Yeah, very cool, very cool. Um, so like Jack Carr, uh, we're gonna be a little guilty of product placement. Uh, I should note that we are not sponsored, but I did manage to secure a <laughs> bottle day, of, of Hooten Young uh, American whiskey, which I'm ecstatic to report. This is the uh, 12-year-aged uh, American whiskey they have. I'm ecstatic to report is actually delicious, um, so I have been consuming a little bit of it.
1: It would have been cool if you like passed the bottle to like the side of the screen and then Mike had his own bottle that he could pull the side, and then put it down to the screen to me. That would have been cool. We will manage that for the
0: live stream. So, a <laughs> yes. uh,
2: well, real. We will not have to have the same bottle. Or we'll yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. So you have to ship
2: us. You have to, you have to go buy two bottles of that and send one to Sam and one to me. Yeah. yeah we'll have, have nice. to drink that's half nice.
0: of it, then ship it to you, right? <laughs> that's the way it works. Yes. Um, so, a note about me, a real. A real quick note about Hoot & Young uh, whiskey is that, so it was founded by um, Norman Hoot and Temmy Young. Uh, Norman Hoot will be familiar to probably anyone watching this uh, YouTube or listening to this podcast, because Norman Hoot was ably portrayed by Eric Bana in Black Hawk Down. That is the, the Delta Force NCO of this here's my safety, sir, uh, fame from the movie, Black Hawk Down. So that is that guy who founded this American whiskey distillery and and confession guys, I expected to taste it and think, oh, this is okay. This is whiskey. It's actually really good. Uh, I'd put it in a uh, similar class to uh, Buffalo Trace. So flagrant product placement, we are not sponsored. I am not taking any money from <laughs> Hooten Young, but I do recommend it for you bourbon lovers out there.
1: And we will um, take bourbon.
0: <laughs> we we will take, yeah, very much. Um, so we are here today to talk to you after that digression about Terminalist episodes five and six. We're going to hit up the speed up the pace a little bit here as you start to talk about it. So this episode opens up with a, a set piece in Iraq. Um, and I've watched it twice now and I give it a lot. I still give it a lot of credit for matching my memory of being on the ground in Iraq in terms of what it looks like and what it feels like in terms of the urban environment, the sand, the heat. Um, but there are a few things that immediately pop out right at you when you're watching it. If you like, if you on the second watch through. So for me, it, it struck to me that you have this seal team running through Najaf in a van, um, which Maybe feasible, but I, I have to ask why they're not in an American up-armored Humvee or something like that. And also, all four of them have uh, rifles. Um, even a standard U.S. Army rifle team would have a light machine gun, uh, an M249, and a grenade launcher or three uh, M203 on their rifles. Uh, Mike, you, you or obviously, you've operated as a SEAL uh what, what about you, what about this scene struck you as good? What about it struck you as maybe they could have done this better?
2: I think they did a, a decent job of um, mocking up your basic everyday Mark 1 Mod 0 on the job side street, but if you accept that they were doing a different job and their primary job wasn't as a QRF and they just happened to be there, then I guess you could come up with a reason for why they were armed and equipped the way they were. Um, but if you were running a, um, a QRF you would have up uh, um, armored and upgunned vehicles with lots of, uh, belt fed, pintle mounted weapons as well as, uh, belt fed personal weapons. And you'd be going in heavy because you're pushing into somewhere where bad things are happening. If you accept that this team was just happened to be there, and he felt strong enough that he was gonna make you know make the op. That's great. I I I wasn't I wasn't nearly as distracted by that as subsequent details uh, like the remarkably intact condition of the helicopter, the absence of fire, um, the relatively unmust physical appearance of the the survivor, and I really enjoyed the humor of uh one of the guys in the back seat of, of the truck trying to keep from squeezing one out accidentally did <laughs> an off like that uh and it went horribly awry so that made me laugh because I, I was remembering my own experiences with someone uh who was crowning as we were rushing to the sound of guns it
1: was pretty hysterical oh my god i messaged, yeah. I messaged justin after i watched that episode i was like hey man you uh you ever have to shit in the middle of a mission or something because I never thought of that. It just never like crossed my mind, but I was like, that's very real. That feels and what, real.
0: And what did I tell you, Sam? I said, absolutely. Huh? <laughs> like, it, I remember holding on to in Afghanistan. I remember holding on to the back of an MRAP. So MRAPs are uh, V-shaped, like the bottom is V-shaped to try to, you know, address mines, basically, or IEDs. Um, And we, you know, borrowed a lot of designs from South Africa, uh, amongst other places. And I remember holding onto the bumper and letting one loose um, in the middle of operations because it was like, yeah, no, there's no way to avoid this. Yeah.
2: If you work long enough in uniform, uniform, you're you're always going to have multiple really good bathroom stories. Um, (laughs) I won't go into detail, but my personal favorite was after uh, one op. Having in a semi serious but also funny way, having to document the procedure for safely uh, doing a number two underwater, rigged up with closed circuit gear with live explosives and demo under an <laughs> adversary ship and do so quietly in zero visibility without tangling all your shit up. So, tangling your equipment up, sorry. Um, but rivet races are a thing and that's. That's an Iraqi, that's an Iraq war uh, sort of phenomenon where the Rippet races, where you drink a case of Rippets, which is a caffeine energy drink issued to the troops. And you would have two guys square off over a case of Rippets to see how fast you could drink, how many you could drink in an hour or so. And there's a great story about a guy that went on a a QRF after having drunk about a case of Rippets. And 15 minutes or 20 minutes into the op, he had, uh, and, and he was a gunner in the top of an MRAP. And, um, if you can find that account on the internet, it is hilarious. It's so funny. It inspired some of my writing in John Ringo's universe. Cause Rippets are. I can totally. In- be- yeah. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. I can totally believe that. Uh, d- so what's funny is I actually stayed fairly clear of both wild tiger, which was really popular in Iraq. Um, and citrus r- uh, Well, Rippets in general, when I was a platoon leader and a fire support officer, anything that was on the line, I tried to stay clear of it. I drank a lot of water, tried to, you know, stay more or less clean. When I was a staff officer, I was basically addicted to citrus ribbits, Um, At that point, like I was like operating on pure caffeine and hatred uh, is, is what kept me going as a as a staff officer, and it was responsible for a lot of dental work. I will say, not that I didn't brush my teeth, but just consuming that much sugar sugar was not good for the teeth. But yeah, no, like the rippets did make did fuel a large part of the war. Um, so yeah, no, you're right, Sam. That is a a good detail to include the that we have all this aspirational stuff and this cool commando action. These
2: people are still just human,
1: you know, like everybody, even, everybody poops, man. Everybody
2: poops. <laughs> and and in a, in a in a series that's so dark and so gritty and vengeance and blood and and squelchy sounds as you rip the intestines out of your adversary for the bad things he did, that was a remarkably lighthearted moment that was was needed and frankly overdue
0: yeah, yeah, and we start to get that in these last few episodes. we get some lighter hearted more human moments. Uh, th- throughout the thing that we get either in flashbacks or in interactions with Ben uh, and Reese as we go on. Oh, one of the things that stood out to me is that um, with Horn's character and Tedesco, Tedesco being the bald headed uh CEO who kind of fell in under Horn's wing. We have like a severe, like we covered in the last episode, how easy it is to hate Horn. And nothing's going to change about that. Uh, we kind of talked, we, we jumped ahead a little bit because of rewatching it. I realized it's actually in this episode that he talks to the FBI agent and the U S Marshal, uh, uh-huh. And it comes out that he has the, the faux uh, Navy seal tattoos and everything as a civilian, which again, bold strategy, cotton, let's see how it plays yeah. out for him. Um, and that in this in this episode, we see how hard he underestimates and misunderstands Tedesco and his motivations and what makes him tick. Who's, who's, uh, the, and,
2: who's the, the scientist, the little mousy scientist guy?
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's it's just this, this ludicrous overconfidence on Horn's part that because I am dominant, Tedesco will do what I want him to do until he's faced with the fact that he isn't and they end up with a catastrophe
2: yeah hmm. they, they the the archetype that porn portrays is well executed and the writers and the actor did a good job of crafting this character whom you hate and everything he does simply reinforces that feeling which kind of makes the viewer feel good i hate him and i'm right for hating him and i'm I'm really hoping he gets his. So it was ably done. And I appreciated that. And for the people in the back who had the cheap seats and couldn't quite get what the point was, that interaction between the Phoebe and the Marshall and Horn, she calls out explicitly, Hey, look, look, so and so. You oughtn't be wearing that. And I'm pretty sure uh, you know it. I know it. And everybody who matters knows it. And that tells me more about you than you think it does. And that, that was really yeah. well done. Yeah.
0: seen like because like there's in in inside the military there are kind of concentric circles of cool you know so to speak like if you're an astronaut you're in the tightest circle you know like it's, it's that simple you're like you know like okay you're an astronaut uh and then there's it gets fuzzier and it's not you know there's no it's not encoded by any means but you know, like guys like Mike or Special Operations, they went through a harder selection course than most of us, and they get they get a little more street cred, and deservedly so. But one of the things that gets you labeled as a douche so quickly is claiming things you don't have a right to. You know, like, and that that, like, I'm wondering if that was communicated adequately to someone who doesn't have a military background.
1: Yeah,
2: what do you think, Sam?
1: Yeah, I mean... I, I that See, that didn't, like, land with me as much as just the fact that he's a, just a dick. He's a douche. He's easy to hate. He's almost too much of a villain. And I say that, like, about most of the people in the show who are villains. They're a little too easy to hate. Maybe one of the villains, maybe two of the villains or villains aren't, you know? But uh, – and they're a little more sympathetic. But everybody else, you're like, when Reese kills them, it's like, good, fuck those guys. This is good. <laughs> you know? But like the, the like the military stuff, like it didn't like it didn't really land with me as much, obviously as a civilian. But uh, yeah, I mean, and Horn, you know, guess what's coming to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: as yeah, and, we get to it.
0: And Mike, correct. I want your opinion on this too. For but for me, like, there's nothing I don't hold like a, a quartermaster officer or you know any like anybody who was in a support branch in the military. I don't hold them in contempt. I really don't, you know, and likewise, I don't think special operators hold the rest of the military in contempt. It's just the, when you try to portray yourself as something you're not, that's what generates contempt.
2: So I'll tell you the, the more, the shorter the interval between event A and your successful winning of your spurs, however you choose to define that, you know, passing SET and getting your trident. The shorter that interval the more likely you are to respond perhaps uh less positively to that kind of interaction uh i had my own moment where i had just gotten my trident and uh i decided to go to um what was then the the legendary naval air station miramar wednesday officers night officers club night where all the, yeah. all the ladies show up and all the pilots are there let me break in Miramar
0: water. is where Top Gun used to be the naval fighter yeah. weapon school it's now so in that, Fallon
2: that, the, 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 go scene ahead in the first top gun the, the scene in the first top gun where they sing um, uh, you never close you your lost eyes this.
0: that love and feeling go ahead
2: <laughs> so that bar is a real place or used to be a real place and every Wednesday night it was ladies' night ladies get in free and drink effectively free so there were a lot of ladies there. And 22-year-old Mike Massa went there with a brand-new Trident. Uh, and I ran into a pilot who was wearing a Trident. And I went, well, that's that's peculiar. I, you know, I, who were you? And so you that's asked That's an unusual question, career
0: like, path, to say the least. Yeah, how'd
2: you do that? And he immediately got really wiggly and squiggly and uncomfortable. And uh, part of the conversation, so I followed him in the head and, and took his Trident away. So I'm... <laughs> Looking back, I'm not particularly proud of that, but at the time, I was super, super smug and self-righteous about it because Mm -hmm. 22 years old, just got his trident, you know, yada yada yada. So, the younger and stupider you are, the more you're full of that bullshit. Uh, Guys that have, and I, and at that point, I never even deployed. Yeah. Uh, Directly, directly, you're exposed to more serious business in life. That becomes a lot less important. And the first time you have, you know, pick the combat service support function, whether it's logistics or medical or any damn person that helps you when you need it, you're like, that's actually goddamn handy. I'm sure glad we have those people. So that arrogance is rapidly tempered and bleached out of you. But a brand new frogman, oh god, ego. I, there's not a room in my house to house that ego that I had.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, so, I, I hear you. And and like, I completely agree. It's like, you you don't operate long before you realize Mm -hmm. it's all one big machine and remove any cog and it it ceases to function, you know, and with some exceptions, there, there are some things that are probably superfluous.
2: And and Um, within, I want to, I want to briefly comment on your theory or your metaphor of the concentric circles of cool, how astronauts are in the middle. I would argue that if you're a SEAL astronaut, Harvard trained surgeon, you might be actually the, the the pixel in the middle of the concentric circle of cool. Like, look uh, at you, Kim. Kim. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> look at Commander Kim. Who, by the way, is also getting his wings. I don't know if we mentioned that. He's now, oh. he's about to finish, or maybe by this point has finished the uh, the NASA pilot training to be actually yeah, so, be a pilot. pilot. So I'll, I'll put a link cool. yeah.
0: Yeah, I'll put a link to that guy in the comments, but Sam, just for your for your fundamental information, is it Johnny Kim? Is his name? Yeah, John Kim. John Kim. He is no shit. And correct me if I, correct me if I, I misstate this, Mike. He is a Navy SEAL, Silver Star recipient, which Silver Star I'm is the third highest me. award for yeah. valor. Silver Star recipient, Harvard educated, doctor, lawyer, astronaut. Like Okay, like, all at the same time, and I'm like, "Good Lord, <laughs> like, did, save did, some
2: did, did, for the rest of us, buddy." I don't, I don't, I don't think he actually passed the bar, though. I think he just, he just got the pre-law. Did he get the law degree or did he get, He has a medical degree and he's a doctor. I know that.
0: Yeah, it, it's been a while since I looked. I just saw an article on him a few months ago, and I was like, "Wow, you know, uh, I bet that guy has no time to watch Netflix."
2: <laughs> I, I'm guessing he doesn't. Find himself playing a lot of video games. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, there are dudes like
0: that who make basically everyone feel like they're slacking. <laughs> um, so anyway, all that to say, like, be proud of what you are. Don't, don't try to claim what you're not is, is the bottom line. I would say is, is the, the good th- is the, the takeaway from that.
1: Um, and no also FBI like corn,
0: yeah, don't be a sociopathic douche. On top of that, uh, would be the, the other the other part of that.
2: Um, but in an to keep this short, I mean that 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 scene does what it needs to do. It explains why it's Katie, right? The the pilot.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know why you know how uh, Liz. She, why she's part Liz of Liz is the pilot. Sorry, Liz, why she's the pilot? Um, and that, and that's that's probably one of the three most important parts of the episode. The other one, of course, being the thing we we talked about. Um, where we finally uh, we get the two the good guy and the well, we, up to that point who I thought was the main bad guy.
1: Yes, me too. Yes, yeah. so that was a surprise at the end at the end of the episode. You know, that was a pretty surprise. I was like, oh, oh, they just they just did it, and there's like three more episodes at this point. <laughs> it's like that, oh, yeah. I did, I did because they they set him up. They set Horn up to be like the big bad, yeah, as like you know as wannabe as he was, you know. So I was surprised by that a lot. You know.
0: It's a power of characterization because I will say as a reader of the book, I understood where they were go where they were going, but yeah, no, I could totally understand if you just came into it blind. It's like, yeah, Horn's the big bad. As soon as he's dead, Reese can chill, you know, maybe he can go get that brain tumor treated. We'll see. <laughs> um, uh, But, but yeah, as we find out, it's not the case. Um, I will say as the uh, having been on the receiving end of an EFP um, in my life for real uh, and having lost comrades to it, this is probably arguably the most egregious technical and tactical uh, error or ask, depending on how you want to look at it, of the series when Reese tells Liz Riley an EFP is incredibly precise and EFP it's is directed. Uh, yeah, it's not a generalized blast. That's true. You're making a projectile, but it is not precise. Um, like that. That was hot garbage.
2: When well, the like, mo- the, mon- the montage of his device construction was hilarious. Um, I, I guess I'm going to give them a pass them.
0: on that one because they're probably they're probably trying to obfuscate that to a large degree of like, oh, we're not showing people how to make an, an <laughs> IED. Like, I get that. But, like, the fact that they describe the characteristics,
2: so you know, it, rem- it reminded me of that scene from the Steven Seagal movie uh, <laughs> where he's he's taking a 5-inch, 54-caliber shell, uh, cutting it open, heating it up over a heating element to liquefy the plasticized explosive and, and pouring and making like, it. Oh, my God. Just, <laughs> oh. What was that?
0: Was that in Mark's ah. for Death? Which Sorry. movie was that in? Was um, that in
2: Mark? Go ahead. That was the one. That was the one where he goes on board Wisconsin, and he's uh, I'm just a cook. Under siege. Oh, Under siege. Yeah. <laughs> on. What's one <laughs> of the better ones that he did, though. Not saying much, but it's one of the better ones. Well, yeah. What What you said, yes, that's. It, it was arguably his best film. Is the one. Um, where he dies in the first like three minutes, flying from a uh, climbing the umbilical from a stealth bomber into a uh, executive decision.
0: Uh, yeah, executive executive action or executive decision. Yeah, executive the one with Kurt action, so I don't
1: remember it. Kurt Russell yeah. the hero.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Under Siege is hilarious because Tommy Lee Jones and Gary Busey are the bad guys. (laughs) So it doesn't matter how inaccurate militarily that movie is. It's still amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Do I look like I need a psychological evaluation?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? Yes, actually.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you guys think of like the uh, Reese's like strategy for like going after Horn in public? Because that didn't bring... That didn't ring true to me at all. Like, Gar- I feel like he's he's got to be better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Go go ahead, Mike. I'll
0: let
2: you lead off, and then I'll I'll comment on it. I mean, why would you go after the guy? Oh, so first off, he. I can't think of a reason why that would be the best way to do it, other than if you accept the premise that you can have a precise, explosively formed. Projectile IED, actually, in, in essence, a VB IED, and that you can kill the bad guy and everybody around him and get away and not have a lot of civilian casualties. If you accept all those premises, then maybe, but it's not consistent with his his preference to do things personally and make sure the per, the bad guy that dies understands why they're dying. So yeah, to yeah. me, to me, that's not consistent, but. In the end it works out because of course the hit goes wrong and he has to climb out and there's the shootout with all kinds of you know flashy gun action that the audience you know the movie makers think the audience is the man. and and then of course the very satisfying you know you get the the worm turns and you have the horn begging for his life and getting zapped twice in the chest and once in the head you know a proper canoe and away away goes our hero and i'm like wow well, that's I guess there's we need, we need something else to do because there's three more episodes to go. To your point now, yeah.
1: yeah,
0: Mike, I I completely agree with you that it's on one hand, you know, as any sort of a tactician, it 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 does trip your bullshit meter pretty quick. But I will say this does have one of my favorite lines in the whole show, is when one of the uh, private military contractors, who's part of his security, looks at him, throws the vest on him and says, listen up, you fucking fanboy. Time to nut up. <laughs> I was like, okay. Like, I'm really sad that this guy is probably going to die because Reese is going to shoot him because that was pretty awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> I, I bet you anything, the guy that was given those lines used to be somewhere in the military and was just so <laughs> delighted he got to say that.
0: Yeah. and then, uh, And then Reese just canoes him which this is part of the problem is that you know the whole plan for the efp revolves around the fact that reese needs to take him alive right that he's going to use this efp as a distraction and take him alive because he needs to question him but earlier in the episode i don't want to get into too many details because we are trying to you know keep these a little more efficient in terms of time but he gets the information he thinks he needs. So he no longer needs horn alive. So he just executes him. And if that's the case, there are so many more efficient ways to execute him without risking anyone else. Yeah. You know, because that that's yeah. the bottom line is like, I, I, I don't think most of the viewers who are willing to watch the Terminalist begrudge Reese killing the people who murdered his family and enabled no. the murder of his family. But most of us are like, hey, bro, you don't get to kill innocent people while you're doing it, you yeah. know, like that. It's like it's OK that you're trying to kill Horn and Agnon and Holder and all these other people who are involved, you know, get down with your bad self. But, you know, the fact that you're using an IED on the streets of San Francisco. Not as justified when you could just stand off 500, 600, 800 meters with a rifle and canoe the guy's head. On the other hand,
2: consider the target demographic for the terminal list, right? How many of them are really going to be bummed that something blows up in San Francisco? I mean, (laughs) really?
0: Well, I wasn't trying to make this political, Michael. (laughs) in in
2: in In a very serious way, this is an example where Amazon bought a show who is executive producer and producers who are the money men or money woman and the directors of the episodes perfectly understood their target audience. Um, in the book, is that a similar scene? Is there an explosion in San Francisco? Is that, or are they being true to the book?
0: If I remember correctly, it's in New York. Um, but it has been a minute since I actually, I, and I didn't, I didn't read in dead tree version. I listened on audible. Um, uh, and a lot of the stuff on I will say again, and I said this last episode, and I, I'll say it again this episode, a lot of the stuff in the book maybe feels more authentic, but is less satisfying dramatically.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know what I mean? Uh, so I do think it was it was more of a he he employs the IED against Hartley's husband, I think, not against Horn. Um, in the book. In the book, Horn survives till the climax. I mean, look, um,
2: I've, I've been a big city dweller, exclusively a big city dweller as far as where I was domiciled my entire life. You know, uh, London, New York, Frankfurt, LA, San Diego, Washington, DC, all big cities. But there's a very real, and I think Johnny Ringo did a great job of it in, uh, in his uh, Live Free or Die series, when the big bads are threatening to blow up a city if he if the, if the the, um, the country dweller doesn't give them what they want he goes don't you get it I don't care blow up the cities not important to me you're threatening the wrong guy with the wrong thing if anything you're <laughs> you're gonna make me laugh yeah. and that whether intentional or not probably drove a lack of okay so he blew up some bad guys in the city uh, all right well you know too bad it sucks to be them still live in San Francisco ne- next scene please so I don't think yeah. I would have a lot of impact in it. To a discerning moralist which i think you are justin and on my good days i pretend to be um yeah i have a problem adopting the actions of our enemies and adversaries that would blow up civilians or threaten urban environments and and doing that as and still being the good guy in my head but i guess if you're twisted enough with a tumor and you have that loss you just don't care and it does neatly set up the most important thing that happens in the, in the next episode which is the whole pursuit, because now he's a domestic terrorist. Righteous or not, you now have every swinging, well, every every qualified law enforcement officer is going to be deputized to find you, and they're not going to try to arrest you.
0: Yeah, so I, I agree, Yeah, I agree, Mike. And I'm, like, to be clear, I live in Houston, so I'm also a dazzling urbanite, to quote Mel Brooks <laughs> from Blazing Saddles. Um, But yeah no i I completely agree that at that point, so when you read the book, like and i I hesitate to be too critical of Jack Carr because I actually like I enjoyed the book a lot, um and I think he's a positive force in both literature and the veteran community, so I hesitate to be, you know, like I, i'm 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 doing a lot of hedging my bets here, so forgive me. Um, I tend not to, I tend to be willing to criticize movies and TV shows much more than I'm willing to criticize fellow novelists mm. because it either comes across as hitting at my peers or people who are trying to climb the ladder behind me or punching up, but it's because of sour grapes because I'm not that successful. And I don't mean it neither way. Um, but I will say that what I got from both the book and the series is it's trying to push the perception of Reese to the edge, you know, to see like how much will you accept of what Reese does before he's no longer the hero. Um, it kind of exceeds my ability to sympathize when he uses an EFP in San Francisco, because I understand the employment of those. Um, yeah. I, I understand them intimately, both from having received one and from having encountered them and having hunted down IED cells in Iraq, that I'm like, no, no, this is not the right tool tactically for the job that you're trying to do. You know, even if you, like, I get what you're trying to do, and I understand the message you're trying to convey, but I don't really approve of it per se. Uh, That being said, it didn't ruin my enjoyment of the episode or the book, but I am willing to call it a flaw in the story sure. for me
2: sure but it does neatly set up the all of the action in the very next episode
1: yeah which which, which we, we i think we all agreed was not a really necessary episode to have so if you didn't so, set it up we wouldn't need it and then we could just move on to episode seven yeah I mean, like we, we talked about like we talked about it compared him to punisher before you know yeah. wife and kids dead and the punisher you know is a fucking mass murderer he's not a good guy but i don't think he would wage war in daylight in a public city like that and if like your guy is like less heroic than the punisher i start to lose a little bit of my uh my sympathy for the guy yeah so,
0: Mike, have you seen? Have you ever read Punisher comic books or seen the Punisher series or Daredevil on Netflix, Mike? I'm just curious. I could walk over to
2: my shelf and get down my uh, my collection, uh, but yes, I'm I'm very familiar with Frank Castle. Okay, awesome. Here. So that we could
0: we can all talk about this on equal footing. So, Sam, what I'm gonna say is that in Daredevil season two of Netflix, in my opinion, Frank Castle won that argument. Um, with Matt Murdock. So keep it, keeping that in mind, that that's my my fundamental stance, when it comes to Terminalist, I agree with you. That, that I'm like, no, no, no. Frank Castle takes great care in the comics and for the most part in the Netflix series to avoid harming non-combatants. So this is really morally complex, but... You accept collateral damage in war because the results of not accepting collateral damage are so much worse. That's the idea. In very brief terms and sounding very glib about a great tragedy, so I'm sorry if this upsets anyone, you nuke Hiroshima and Nagasaki so you don't lose a million Americans invading Japan and two million Japanese invading Japan. Yeah. So that's. Yeah, that's the kind of calculus you're doing in war. If you're just seeking retribution for its own sake, then in my opinion, my moral opinion, not even one innocent life is justified. If it's just retribution and there are no strategic implications, you're not trying to prevent further harm. If you're just James Reese and you want to kill the people who killed your family, you don't get to kill anybody who's innocent.
2: So it's super rare to have in any real life engagement things that are so perfectly cut and dried and 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 understood prebellum. You know, in a, in a work of fiction, we can create that for the purposes of examining a character's actions. Um, yeah. And I don't want to dwell too long on, on, on the VBID. You know, while I find... You know, I had friends get blown up by them. I, I never got hit one by one, thank goodness. Um, but they are a very, very effective weapon. Yeah. And there's a long history of IEDs and DBIDs being used to great effect, uh, including by sides that were ultimately successful in their conflict and thereafter draped in the, in the moral fabric of success, if you will. You know, whether those colors are colorfast and put them through the wash or not, Eh, time will tell, but, uh, and I, I think we're, I might be spending too, much, too long on this, but yes, it, it does introduce a useful note of ambiguity if one were needed. Um, but all the, all the errors, as far as the tactical accuracy of the show up to this point become as nothing with the extraordinary decisions made in the, uh, the, the, the script of episode seven, which is the, the chase through the national park. Which, if it's the South, it's six. the 10 of the north, Yeah, yeah. just to be
0: clear, before. Mike, episode six.
2: Sorry, correction, episode six.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. Um, I want to back up to a positive, to like a compliment sandwich, you know, where I'm going to talk about the things I liked and then we're going to bitch about the things <laughs> we hated and then we're going to talk about something we liked. Um, so I actually really like the flashback with James Reese and his in-laws. Um, there's a couple reasons I like it. Uh, this is particular to me, uh, Sam, I don't know if you noticed this cause I, I think you've watched the show as well as I have. Lauren Reese's father is Alice's father from the magicians. Mm-hmm. And he basically plays the same character, like mm-hmm. the hapless kind of weak, kind of hapless um, uh, non-factor, but that Lauren's mom, you know, when James Reese comes to them and says, people are going to say things about me, you know, I would never hurt my wife and children. No one else is going to take care of this. I'm going to. And I appreciate that Lauren's mom is, says you do what you got to do. You know, I'm like, yeah, no. If somebody killed my daughter and my granddaughter, fucking get it. You know, like that. That's where I'm at too. So I appreciated that scene. Um, and I appreciate. There's one little note I want to I want to get into. It's it's a minor detail, but when there there's in the police chase and the the cop tries to spin him out and Reese knows how to drive against that. Okay, cool. Like I like that little detail stuff like that in there. But then you get into uh, the chase through the woodlands. Uh, in, I don't know if it's supposed to be Yosemite or where they are.
2: And, oh my God. It's not Yosemite Yosemite because they're on the coast because he does a water extract.
0: Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, yeah, you're right. Um, It actually looks not entirely dissimilar from the terrain I grew up in in high school in Northern California, which I guess is where he's supposed to be. So good job on that. Um, But I'll go ahead and start off. You have... Uh, the the FBI hostage rescue team coming in to track him down, which I'm not even sure that's the right unit from federal law enforcement that would, that would get detailed for that. But we'll go with it for now. Um, well,
2: probably it probably isn't the HRT. It's probably a regional HRT, and there is one in San Francisco. So yeah. that's that, so that's I won't say impossible. I wouldn't even call it plausible, but sorry, keep going.
0: But so you're going through this, these wide open spaces, and I'm I'm not like I, one of the things that I make very clear is I consider myself the average Joe's of combat vets, you know, like I I was an artillery officer, I have experience in Iraq and Afghanistan, but I was never anything special. I I'm not a ranger or special forces or anything like that, but I have been trained. And I assume their people they're portraying have been trained as well. And when I see them in wide open terrain, rammed up each other's ass you know, and moving along natural lines of drift, they're in a line basically like, Oh, they're, they're spread out a little, but basically they're in a line moving down a Creek bed, you know? And I'm like, I'm sorry, what, <laughs> you know, like, the, the the sergeants who trained me as a college cadet would have been reaming me for hours for moving in that formation. And you guys are supposed to be elite. Yeah, I'm I'm done at this point. Like like you you actually I've been forgiving the show a lot, and I will continue to forgive the show a lot because keep in mind my overall impression of the show is still very positive. But at that point, that was the most annoyed. I'd ever been with a show when I'm like, come on guys, I get that you've got to get people in the shot. Um, you know, before we got on the air, I talked about my, my favorite series, which is band of brothers. Um, it is the best thing Hollywood has ever done about the army. And even that series is a victim of camera angles where they want to get the maximum number of actors in screen. They just use wider angles to try to make it look not so egregious. Um, so yeah, that really jerked me out of reality when I'm like, oh my god, they look like they're stacking on a door, but they're in wide open terrain with light vegetation and no cover. You know, so so- their,
2: their tactical interval was one of, and not the greatest of the the uh, Hollywoodized tactical errors in that episode. There were so many we could spend half an hour going through <laughs> each one, but. That, that particular one is common throughout TV army stuff, right? Where they yeah. show people, and, and for the audience, why is that so wrong? The reason that's wrong is we spent four years in World War I proving you don't mass infantry when your adversary has a line of fire and a self loading rifle or an automatic weapon, yeah. which, are, which Reese has, right? Because you can incur a lot of casualties very, very rapidly and um you spread out a lot more like a lot more but that's 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 just one of easily 15 things they get so outrageously wrong that i just kind of went okay it's been pretty good so far i'm just going to chill out i'm going to ride this one out (laughs) oh my god he's riding an avalanche jesus i can't write it out anymore yeah um
0: So Sam, like, sorry, sorry to rant on this, but I will say that even the show acknowledges how stupid it is tacitly by showing the sight through Reese's combat optics. And you see like three or four guys in the tiny little circle that he's looking through. And it's like the implication of that is he could have shot three or four guys with a rifle. You know, he doesn't even, even need a grenade, much less mortars or something like that. Um, you know, so again, that, that's why it gets to guys like us so much is because we're like, Oh Jesus, you know, like five meter intervals at least. So (laughs) one grenade doesn't take out more than two or three dudes at a time. Um, and if you're, yeah, anyway, sorry. (laughs) That is one of the things in the show that the first time, like the second time I caught a lot more stuff watching the first time I watched that, I was like, Oh Jesus, like, come on, guys. Like, you had Navy SEALs on set watching this. How come no one said something? And get it? I've never made a movie. I've never made a TV series. I don't know what constraints they were operating under. So, you know, let me back that off a little bit by saying I've never had to execute the way they've had to, but it did bug the shit out of me to watch it. I, I bet you they
2: shot those scenes in less than a week.
0: Potentially. That,
2: that entire. Mon- that, that extended montage smacked of how can we show action and not spend a lot of money making it. Oh yeah. And I, I mean, I mean, yeah. as, a, as a movie maker, how much money you spend is a big deal, right, Sam?
1: Yeah, and I mean, like TV, you have to move much faster than movies. Movies, you can like spread some stuff out. You can spread action scenes out. TV, you got to deliver those episodes really quick. Especially like one of these. This is just a one-off episode where this is happening. I think like the 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 five meter thing, like the closeness, that didn't like occur to me. The thing that occurred to me, and Mike, I think, mentioned it earlier when we were just having our, like, you know, pre-discussion. There's only, like, a handful of people that are going after this terrorist. And yeah. you'd expect them to send, like, everybody. And, like, that That bothered me. And, I mean, the, I mean, the main thing that bothered me for the whole episode is the fact that nothing's going to happen to Reese. And you know nothing's going to happen to Reese. The whole episode doesn't matter. Because you need to have like the chase. Because last episode he just blew up San Francisco, so you have to have somebody go after him. But you know, there's episode seven and eight coming up, and he's got to keep going. He's got to finish off his list. And it just so the episode for me doesn't matter. He can he can survive like going down in like an avalanche. He can survive probably going down a volcano if it came up to it. Yes, <laughs> that's
0: just the, just that's like the, Tom Hanks armor. <laughs> yes, See,
2: that that whole chase. The, the points they had to make in that extent painfully extended uh rife with with error misrepresentations and errors and in, in tactical and operational behaviors had to do three things had to show the consequences for blowing shit up in a big city uh which would have been multiple hundreds not a couple dozen bad uh, cops chasing you it had to show that Reese was uh being selected had the chance to bring the mayhem and chose not to so multiple times at least three or four times he had a had a cop or a uh, another frogman under in his sights or under his knife and chose not to kill the guy yeah. or the four guys, or in which is very case Frank Castle of him. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say,
1: I was gonna say, yeah.
2: Even even when that might have helped him escape, so maybe they were trying to they were trying to make him be less of it. They're demonstrating his basic goodness. I don't know, but all that could have been done. And, and Sam, I think you're 100 right, and I'm reassured. Uh, that my judgment wasn't flawed when i hear a pro filmmaker say this it was unnecessary you could have taken episodes five and six and made them a single longer episode without having two hours of, of production costs mm-hmm. in in my opinion but yeah. in the end eh, it was all right eh, yeah. it's, i think it, it it is it's in the bottom two of the set of the eight episodes in my opinion
0: I think I would agree with that. And yeah. you know, we've we've kind of we've talked about it already, but I will say that and again we we talked about this in the pregame, but when he sets off the explosives that cause the avalanche, one it puts him in like comic book hero territory that he survives that, and then it just is blind luck that he doesn't kill the US Marshal who was caught in the blast as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. um and I will say, you know, it, it's a double-edged sword here, right? Because we, we all, like, you know, Mike and I, we're, we have an interest in military history. So we know there are tons of people who have survived very unlikely things. But Reese combines so many of those things into one person. You know, that, that's the problem. It's not like, like there are people who have survived jumping out of a plane and their parachute doesn't deploy but they are such a statistical anomaly that you're you're you're, Ginny, you're packing, tiny. yeah, you're packing all those statistical anomalies onto one person uh is kind of why it makes it harder to buy and then and i will I will note too that when uh uh mac the the federal marshal says, you know, oh, I was an army veteran because even seals need heroes too, I'm like, you know you should be careful with that joke, it's an antique um." <laughs> You know that, that that one's a little old. Um, I'm sure you were a very good CID agent or whatever you were, but you know, let let let's keep it in line here.
2: Um, the uh, the uh, a comment on the avalanche because uh, it touches on something that I've that I've been I've never been in an avalanche. Uh, I was part of a <laughs> oh, you're missing out. Part of a <laughs> what was additionally called a a rescue group, but ended up being a recovery group for some people that were caught in a snow avalanche and so it wasn't even just rock and gravel it was mostly snow and ice and what came out at the bottom of the scree field looked like you'd taken a couple of people and put them in a really big what a ball mill is uh imagine a cement mixer the size of an industrial building and it's a cylinder and inside the cylinder has spikes that stick into the middle and you full feel full of Uh, heavy steel balls, and whatever you want to break into pieces. That's a ball mill. It's used for industrial separation of ores. The first thing that we found that I saw was a a shockingly intact eyeball all by itself. So if you're in an avalanche, what comes out the bottom is not what those people look like. Not even remotely close. Are you saying the
1: the cartoons that I watched growing up lied to me, Mike? (laughs)
2: You know I, why you figure how to go beep beep zip bang like the road runner man teach me because I want to know. <laughs> so I, I'm gonna go ahead and
0: and soften this a little bit um, because I do listen to the the behind the scenes stuff for terminalist. they tried, right So apparently like Chris Pratt and the actress like they were bar- legit buried under that 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 dirt to get the effect. So again, like we're, we're we're nitpicking. We're not trying to shit on the effort here, but it is like, it is just a little hard to buy when, you know, at no point, like I could totally see, you know, I totally get behind James Reese that it's like, yeah, no, I want to see the people who killed my platoon and my family dead. And I'm willing to ignore all laws and previous previous commitments I've had to make that happen, but I'm not going to count on myself surviving an avalanche to do it. (laughs) Like it's, it's, it's that
2: issue. I mean, so maybe another comparison of outrageous things that a special operative survives and are crazy outlandish, but seeing just barely within bounds are some of the Mission Impossible stunts from that series of movies, right? Where you're like, man, that's one in a million, but if you hit it just right, I can kind of squint and maybe rub my eyes. and Okay, maybe that would work out. Maybe. <laughs> yeah.
1: But there is,
2: I, I can't see anybody being under an avalanche and being going down 100 yards of hillside and coming out the bottom with their limbs on.
1: Yeah, I think you are getting will, to a I point. Will.
2: Go ahead, Sorry? Sam. No, I I think you're getting to a point
1: in just this episode really more than any other episodes where one through five, episode one through five was pretty realistic. And then this is like action, movie action hero thing, you know, like it's a different story. It's like a different world. It doesn't really gel together as much. It's like John Wick just appeared into a, you know, more realistic movie. And it's like, I love John Wick, but, you know, it's John Wick.
0: John Wick clearly communicates, though, that he's in. While well, the web, his Keanu Reeves' weapons handling is amazing, chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. He clearly is a comic book superhero. Yeah, you know James Reese is like somewhere in the twilight between I'm someone who could exist and I'm a comic book superhero. Yeah, you know he kind of shifts between like, oh, that's really realistic, and yeah, I don't buy it. You know, he he kind of the he operates in that twilight between the two worlds.
2: Yeah, you know, and I'm nitpicking, but that's a, that's a rule. I had not thought of it that way. That's a really good description, uh, Justin. In that one minute, you're in a Tom Clancy novel, right, where things are kind of realistic and kind of plausible, and you know, there's geo- there's political intrigue and there's military action, and it seems okay, about right. And the next minute, instead of being in the Clancy novel, you're in the John Wick's environment, where you you have to accept the implausible because the action is so compelling. Yeah. So you can have a movie that's one thing or the other, but it's I think mixing them together is hard. Now all that said, I really enjoyed this series. I will probably rewatch this series, uh, and yeah. I've recommended it to a lot of people. When when I first went into it, I'm like, oh, man,
0: I, okay. I co-opted another, you a little. Yet another Navy SEAL
2: series. Really, we didn't have enough of these, so I'm so glad they made some more.
0: Yeah, and, and, and the reason I even brought you in is because I'm a tiny bit of a Jack Carr fanboy, and I was like, you know, he got more input than an author could expect to normally get. So, and I do think that shows in some ways. In other ways, less so. Um, but yeah, the one thing I. I did want to bring up that I do like some of the emotional beats in here. Um, I kind of like the scene where he hallucinates and starts talking to the radio. Um, because frankly, like, cause you remember he starts talking to, he's having oh. a flashback. Yeah. He's yeah. Talking to his wife. And it turns out he's talking into the radio because he thinks he's talking to the baby monitor.
2: Um, oh, is, is this where the, uh, the radio he gets out of the, uh, the park ranger shack is conveniently yeah. in the same channel as the HRI, the FBI HRT tactical team.
0: Because all radio frequencies are the same in Hollywood, Mike.
2: <laughs> it's true. It's, you, you don't even need comm specialists. Just go down to radio shack and get a, get a yeah. space cadet radio. They all work just like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Because we don't, we're not the United States military. And I would assume the federal government aren't obsessive about comsec. You know, that that's not a thing. Um, so, but I do like the scene nonetheless where he is talking to his wife, um, and then he ends up talking to Leon, the FBI agent, uh, about, um, you know, that, you know, being a good father and being a good husband is harder than being a good SEAL or, you know, the way I translate being a good soldier. Um, one of my friends put it is when you serve and you're serious about it. You can be an and, or you can be a but. You can be when people describe you, oh, that guy's a great officer, but his family's falling apart and he's a douche. Mm. That guy is a great officer and he's a great dad. It's a lot harder to be an and than it is to be a but, you know, like, and that, that, that is one thing that did, I was like, okay, good storytelling. You know that 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 resonates with with Reese, and that haunts him because it, by all indications he did care about his family very much, and he was a conscientious officer. So I did. I was like, okay, on an emotional level, good storytelling. I like it.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, and it goes back to the uh, it goes back to the uh, the whole where he is in his mind with his whole you know his diagnosis and all that and is he always in the present moment does he remember where he is at a given time which i don't think that just from a like a thematic point of view i don't think they went as far as they could have with that i don't i guess they didn't in the book too probably not but I, i thought they could have pushed that a little harder maybe less fbi chases or whatever chases they were and more of that give me that
0: yeah yeah So yeah, uh, and then he parachutes onto the beach and we're set up for our next recording, which is episode sevens and eight. Uh, Any last thoughts before we begin the outro on this one? Because we went a little longer than I meant to. Um, I
1: mean, we did two episodes in one. Yeah. That's pretty good.
2: Yeah. It's better than our our first uh, attempt at this. We went an hour and a half on one episode. (laughs) One episode. One episode we did that sounds like would these guys just
1: shut up man <laughs> uh i liked episode five a lot I didn't like episode six it's my least favorite of the series so far one thing mm-hmm. we didn't touch on but i'll, I'll message um' I'll mention briefly is uh katie the reporter she uh watched the uh, the scientist guy the ball guy die in front mm-hmm. of her and she ran and you know she she held her own you know which was good to see yeah I like that that was a good good a big moment for her for her character. So I like yeah.
0: that. Real quick, yeah. I wanna I wanna caveat off of that. Uh guys who are in the army will will recognize that in joke for what it is. Um, but to caveat off what off of what Sam said, I appreciate the Katie action scene. I think it's actually fairly well written in that Katie is smart enough to run. But not smart enough uh, when the hitman is coming to kill her and Mike Tedesco, the, the bald headed scientist dude. She's smart enough to run, but not smart enough to try to keep it public because presumably that hitman wants to kill them but doesn't want to do it in bu- and in front of a dozen witnesses. Mm. So that was, I think that was actually fairly realistic. Um, and then I also like from that scene that Katie does shoot that guy. Because, again, you know, American perspectives on relative power levels, because most of us have played video games or tabletop RPGs or whatever, RPGs or whatever, you know, the, the bullet doesn't care what level you are or what your class is. If Katie manages to line up the sites and send the round, it doesn't matter that you are an operator, you're down. Um, so I did appreciate that scene. Uh,
2: and I agree with you. That's a good scene for Katie mike last thoughts i'm aligned with both of you i won't drag this out um i enjoyed episode five because the big bad to that point um met his deserved his deserved desserts and i was really cheering for the douche to get douched and he did and i really didn't enjoy episode six um but i played along hoping for a payoff and i have to say the series does deliver in our next in our next um recording, we'll go to more detail, but the series does deliver. So I'm, I'm prepared to forgive a lot of the low points of episode six, just like there are episodes and other of my favorite uh, series. When I rewatch them, I go, well, you know, I'm going to pay the, I'm going to pay the toll. Not my best, not my favorite episode, but you know, adequate, yeah. adequate to convey what had to be conveyed. I will watch- you, I've produced exactly zero eight episode tv shows so someday, someday. so far
0: <laughs> you, you, you'll put up with encounter at farpoint to get all good things yeah. so to speak um for my fellow trekkies out there um so thank you so much for joining me guys uh i'll go with <laughs> sam what Yo. is in the world of narrow bridge films
1: Uh, Like you said at the beginning, we just got back from Gen Con Film Festival where we had a nice uh, screening for our horror anthology Tales from the Narrow Bridge. We didn't win anything, but that was okay. Uh, We did come home to a Best Ensemble Award from the New Jersey Film Awards. Uh, And right now we're just waiting to hear back from a bunch more festivals. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll hear more from them. And hopefully we get to go around the world with it.
2: Awesome. Mike, what's going on in your world today? Uh, nothing new to report uh, with regards to uh, professional writing, but if anybody gets out to Hawaii and has an afternoon in Honolulu, make your way to the Museum of the Pacific War and get on board USS Missouri. What an extraordinarily well preserved, uh, well managed uh, floating battleship where uh, World War II in the Pacific came to a close with the signature of the, the Japanese in uh, Tokyo Harbor back in 1945. Amazing facility, amazing story, great docents, inexpensive and you're in Hawaii. If you're out there, go, go check it out. Awesome.
0: I'll go ahead and throw on if you're East Coast or the South. If you're in New Orleans, hit the World War II Museum uh, for sure. Uh, great experience, lots of great artifacts. artifacts, sorry. Uh, and they have a road to the road to Tokyo and road to Berlin exhibit where you trace the the path of the war uh my late friend andrew allman actually contributed both an arisaka and a um german rifle to this exhibit so i have a personal stake uh and after you've gone to the world war ii museum if you're in new orleans uh hit up garden district books uh, my friend chris Tidmore runs that shop and it's a fantastic facility you should definitely check it out uh that is all the time we have for lore, for lore and valor Uh, Links to our work will be in the liner notes below as per normal. If you enjoyed this video or this podcast, please consider liking, subscribing, hitting the bell, leaving us a comment or leaving us a five-star review on your podcast venue of choice. We're available on most of them. I'll see you next time. And until then, keep up the fire.
2: Privyat, Eric.